Thanks for joining us at Reveal, a Jesus-centered community. To learn more about us and what's going on, check us out on the web at www.revealvineyard.com. We hope in the minutes to come, you're able to find God, find others, and find yourself. Thanks again for listening. All right, well, it's always a good Sunday when we uh, start a new series, and today we start a series called Identity Theft. Uh, We're going to be unpacking this idea of a stolen identity. Identity theft is uh, one of the fastest growing crimes in the entire world. Recent two-year span, over 30 million people have fallen victim to it with $31.3 billion in stolen assets. Most, most sobering is with the 30 million uh, identities that have been stolen, only one in 700 result in any type of conviction. You know what identity theft is when an individual or a backroom crime, crime syndicate Uh, gains access to your personal information, your social security number, your driver's license, your bank account or birthday, and they assume your identity. Anyone a victim of identity theft in any way? Yeah, several of us, right? Several of us. Uh, And then once they have your identity, they can open up uh, credit cards and take out loans and open up utilities. They can even file your tax returns. Now, if anyone wants to assume my identity and file my tax returns, I would be happy because we owe about six grand. So that would be perfectly fine for me. A few years ago, a Miami man was arrested because he was filing tax returns for 614 Florida state inmates and took $3 million from the government in filing false tax returns. I don't know how 600 plus inmates get $3 million in tax returns, but that's a whole nother story. The recent 2017 Equifax breach showed uh, saw 145 million identities taken. We still don't know what the impact of that crime will be. Now, while these numbers are quite staggering, there is another form of identity theft that affects 100% of the human population, past, present, and future. We are losing our sense of self, losing our God-given identity, losing who God himself has created us to be. Scripture tells us that not only were we created by God, but that we were created in the image of God. That means that today, regardless of who you are or where you're at on issues of faith or where you find yourself on your faith journey, you are in fact an image bearer of your creator. Each of us entered the world, listen, with a God-given identity, remarkable, remarkably and wonderfully created meaning that we are marked by God himself with unique prints and personalities and potential and purpose. But as with everything, there are forces working against God's good creation to bring about chaos. Forces working against God to steal what God has created for his glory and to leave it polluted and broken. Broken. Working to pervert and distort and destroy everything that God has created you to be and everything that God is creating you to be currently. Forces working to keep you from being the real you. Keep me from being the real me. Now, there are many roads of attack. For example, the negative opinions of others. Our spiritual enemies, spiritual forces, use the opinion of others to steal our identity. Things that people have said to you, things that people have said about you, words that parents or teachers or friends have spoken over you that steal your God-given identity from you. Things like the past, 
things that we can't get rid of, hurt, and things that we just can't seem to get over. The enemy knows that if he can keep us uh, in, in a state uh, of anger and a state of resentment and a state of bitterness, that we will slowly forfeit our true identity, that we will lose ourselves and begin to see ourselves in what we've done or what was only done to us. Another road of attack is toxic thoughts, thought that tell us that we must earn God's love, thoughts that tell us that we will never be what God has created us to be, thoughts that tell us that the past will never let go, thoughts that tell us that the past will only repeat itself, that you'll never be who God's created you to be. And then one is culture, that we are constantly receiving messages telling us what we are to look like and who we are to be. Look like this, live like them, and you will be fulfilled. You will find yourself. You will find your identity. See, I think from our very first breath, there is a war over the identity that God has placed in us. I think at birth, we have this innate understanding. Listen, I think at birth, we have this innate understanding that we have been created, we've been created in something that is quite special and quite unique. You see, my daughter at four years old instinctively understood Psalm 139, 14. We'll put it up on the screen. My daughter understood at four years old that, that she was made wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. See, at four years old, my daughter could walk into any store dressed as half ballerina, half princess, and walk through those aisles like she was queen of the world. But at 10 years old, that same little girl would cry uncontrollably because she did not have blonde hair and light skin like her best friend. See, I think there's something that's placed in us that we understand as a child that we are quite remarkable. And yet over time, that war for our identity is constantly waging. And at some point, we forfeit our identity and we pick up an identity that was never meant for us. Identity theft of the worst kind. Losing our sense of self and the unique individual that God created us to be. See, if you take my car, I can get another car. Matter of fact, I've owned cars that I wish were stolen. We've all had those types of cars, right? Like, I'm leaving the keys in the car tonight. Where's the bad neighborhoods? I'm driving my car there. If you take my phone, I can get another phone. But if you take my identity, if you take my one identity, you've robbed something from me that was given to me by my creator himself. And so let's begin to unpack what this looks like. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about identity theft, and we'll explore uh, how, we, how we reclaim our identity and how we protect it. And so today, I'm going to unpack a subtle yet powerful thief at work among us in a message I've titled, Mugged by the Mirror. Mirror, mirror in my hand, who's the fairest pastor in the land? I'm sorry, what's that? Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen doesn't have a jacket bought off the discount rack of Macy's, okay? Let me just say that right away. We've all, in some way, been mugged by the mirror. Have you ever looked into a mirror and think, well, that can't be right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. All, all of us. Let's pray as we jump in. Lord, today we're going to unpack this idea of identity theft and how we have been robbed by an image-obsessed culture. And so as always, we're asking that you would speak your truth over the lies 
and that your truth would root in us, that it would be firmly established in our minds, in our thinking, in our hearts, in our actions. And Lord, for some, for many, this process is it's going to take time because we just came out of our mastermind series. We've, we've thought about and believed a lie for so long that we have to begin to change our thinking, allow the word of truth to wash over our minds, to set up new pathways of thinking and beliefs. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would do that among us. Loose the chains that rob us. Loose the lies that take our identity. Lord, as we enter into even our time of worship before you uh, with our giving, uh, we do so by placing you first uh, as a reminder that all things are yours. And so um, we dedicate this time to you to, to learn and to study and to be worshipers as we study your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've told you, we've all looked at mirrors before and think there's something wrong with that mirror. There's, it, it can't be right. I, listen, I, I turned 51 yesterday, and um, yeah, the only people that uh, go, woo, are people younger than 51, because they're like, look at him. He's still standing on his own. Good for you, right? And so I turned 51 yesterday. I looked in the mirror, and I wasn't all that happy with what I saw. I thought maybe it was the lighting, um, you know, so I stared at myself. I went to my boys. I said, boys, I'm 51 today. Your dad's getting old. I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, boys, I looked old, fat, and wrinkled. And I said, boys, I could, my boys are adults. I said, boys, I could really use a compliment today. And one of them said, well, at least you have perfect vision. <laughs> yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll hit you in just a moment. It'll hit you in just a moment. I went to a store to buy a shirt the other day. I won't tell you what store it is, but I am convinced that their mirrors are jacked up. I mean, I just look overly heavy in, the, in their mirrors. It's something, it's them. It's not me, right? Uh, on the other hand, the mirrors at Planet Fitness make me look fantastic. I'm serious. I don't know what it is, but I think they do something to keep us coming back to continue to pay our dues. I think it's tilted or skewed a certain way because I think... I, if I could walk around with that mirror, that would be awesome. Do you know now that they're making skinny mirrors that make us look skinny on purpose? I bought two of them for our house, right? So now there's this thing of, of, of skinny mirrors. Sometimes I think that mirrors are just black holes sucking our God-given identity. That we are in fact mugged by the mirror because we live in an image-obsessed culture with reality shows like Extreme Makeover, or what about this? Remember this show, I Want a Famous Face? Remember that show? Literally, they will remake you into a famous person's face. Dr. 90210, or shows like The Swan. Michelle Graham wrote a book called Wanting to Be Her, in which she talks about a woman born in 1959 that changed normal for all women around the world. Do you know who the cultural icon who was born in 1959? Say it louder. Yeah, it was this gal right here, Barbie. 1959, that's her 1959 image. Uh, and behold, the cultural icon for all women and what women should look like. Forget about that she's an anatomical freak and it's not possible to look like that. Graham writes this. She says, this is the image that has been marketed to women all over the world as an inspiration to womanhood and we eat it up. Beauty care now is a $450 billion dollar industry. In the U.S. alone, it's over a hundred, a hundred billion, right? 
uh, billions spent on cosmetics, two billion on hair care products, 75 billion set on, uh, spent on diet foods and products. Last year, there were over 18 million image-enhancing plastic surgeries performed in this country alone, half of them by the Kardashians. That's what I find unbelievable. <laughs> Graham continues, I'm sorry, but they'll never come here. So <laughs> Graham continues, he says this, she says, I'm certainly no expert in the psychological effect of Barbie on young children, but I do know at a very young age I bought into the idea that unless my Barbie was physically perfect, she wasn't as good as the other Barbies on the block. In fact, she embarrassed me as I grew into adulthood. I left my Barbie behind. Unfortunately, I continued my Barbie philosophy of life. She goes on in her book to say, well, Barbie moved out and then Victoria's Secret moved in. And she says, there's nothing quite like a glance at a Victoria's Secret to invoke floods of insecurity and feelings of disappointment. Matter of fact, there was a study that was done that said that 70% of women looking at a fashion magazine, 70% of women feel guilty and shameful looking at the magazine for less than three minutes because we're mugged by the mirror, right? We're always comparing ourselves. And this is not a problem that is exclusively for women because now studies show that men are falling into the same trap. We're becoming overly concerned with our bodies, with our beer gut and man boobs, which I find is funny. Man boobs, I said boobs in church, it's okay, and going bald, right? We're all concerned about these things. And so men now, uh, there's an increase in... in um, Uh, eating disorders among men. There's an increase in steroid use among men because we're all trying to achieve this perfect image that supposedly is what we're supposed to look like. But we have an image problem because what we see on television, what we see in ads, what we see on billboards is not the reality. Did you know that the average woman is five foot three and weighs 152 pounds? The average model is five foot nine, weighs just over a buck. That is not reality, right? Average woman today wears besides between a size 10 and 16. The average model wears a 2 or a 3. Did you know that the average man's waist in America is 38 inches? Listen, that means literally our circumference is 3 feet around. The next time you walk around me, you best pack a lunch, right? That is crazy to think about, but you will never see a 38-inch waist on a billboard selling Calvin Klein underwear. I guarantee that right? Well, yes, somebody's like, hopefully not. (laughs) But this is the image that we receive constantly. We receive between 35 and 50 messages a day through advertisement, visually, or through uh, audio, through radio, telling us to be thinner, more attractive, better looking, and that somehow we will achieve something that we currently lack. We've been mugged. We are obsessed with outward appearance. It is identity theft on a massive scale. So what do we do about it? Let's begin to unpack what what that looks like. As Christ followers, we need to understand something quite powerful. I'll put it up on the screens. That what is in you has more authority to define you than what's been placed on you. Let me say that again. What is in you has more authority to define you than what's been placed on you. It would be more accurate to say this, that who's in you Who's in you has more authority to define who you are than what's been placed on you, than what culture has placed on you? See, there is a message that God wants to speak over us if we are willing to listen. From the very beginning, Scripture talks about uh, and reminds us that, that we are quite unique 
among all of creation, that man and women are created in the image of God. We see this on the very first page of the very first book, uh, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1. We'll put it on the screen. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Catch the repeat phrases. In our likeness. So God created mankind, man and woman, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Notice the repeat. Notice the repeat. Scripture is trying to tell us something about who we are and our identity, our original design. That part of our identity is that we carry the image of God. Of God, something that we cannot fully fathom, and I don't think we'll be able to fully comprehend this side of heaven. Every day, 7.53 billion people moving about the earth are image bearers in some way of their creator. How exactly did this occur? Well, we see it uh, when we read all the way to chapter 2. We see how this happened. Genesis 2.7. And so the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground breathed life. Others say he breathed the breath of life. Other translations, breathed the breath of life into his lungs and the man became a living being. This is the climax of all of God's creation. Something quite extraordinary is taking place here. Now notice two things. First, that that God formed us. The the idea is that God handcrafted us. He sculpted us. And my, my mind works in strange ways. I wonder if during the sculpting process, did God ever step back and just kind of say, that doesn't work. The nose really should be in the middle of the face, right? And just kind of rework it just a little bit until he was, he was, he was perfectly fine with it. And, and notice that he sculpted us. And then second, notice that he breathed something into us. Picture the final design of, of human creation lying lifeless on the ground, and God leaned over and he breathed life into us. The idea, the word there is ruach. It's the, the spirit of God or the literal breath of God or the wind of God was, was breathed into us and something was ignited. This lifeless being came to life. It's like when an infant is born. And there is a a sudden and rude awakening to life. And there's a slap on the backside, not to introduce it into a hostile world, but to to cause it to to gasp and to breathe in life into the possibility of its future. And there is almost this imagery of God breathing life into into our beings where we have been created not only to just survive, but to thrive and to experience a life that God designed for us, that God himself breathed a portion of himself into us. Something significant happened. The ruach of God, the breath of God, breathed. It was quite literally mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. That you came to life. Now we're painting imagery here and we're taking some, some liberties. I get it. But you, we literally came to life through a kiss. God breathing life into humanity. It was mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And in that moment, we became alive to the possibilities of life. We became alive to our creator. And it all began with a kiss. It is the breath of God, the Spirit of God breathed in us. Now, every church father, every uh, scholar to this day has debated about what this means to be created in the image of God. Uh, Where is the image found? How is that image expressed? Uh, 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 When did it begin? Throughout church history, there's been all kinds of uh, ideas as to what this 
looks like. Uh, the one thing that there has been a universal agreement on is that the image of God is a significant theological process or, or idea. That it is, it is critical to us being human. Now, from there, opinions begin to splinter. Some would say it's in our consciousness. That the image of God is because we know that we know. We know that we are alive. There's something that we understand that the animal kingdom does not. My dog does not lay around contemplating the meaning of life. Some would say it's that we know we know. It's that level of consciousness. Others would say, no, it's in our ability to love and form relationships, to love deeply. Others would say, no, it was found in, in the charge that God gave us to, to kind of reign and to, and, to, and to rule and to care for his creation. That, that, that's part of, of the image of God in us and, and how we function. Still others would say that image bearers of God is that we share many of the attributes with God. Love and justice and mercy and grace, distinct attributes associated uh, with God, but not anywhere else found in the animal kingdom. The full scope of what this means we're never going to fully understand it, this side of heaven. I don't think so anyways. But what we do know and what scholars all agree with is that something happened in us. Now catch that, in us. Something occurred in us. The image of God is in us. The breath of God, the spirit of God in us. That means it's not in my physical appearance. You do realize that in your image of God, that God is not seated, seated on the throne with two arms and two legs right now. And I've come to realize at 51 that I don't look like God. I never looked like God, and I will never look like God. That our outward shell is not the image of God, but there's something on the inside of us. That, that God does not exist as we exist. Now, Jesus came with a body. That is the incarnation. But the, 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 the Trinity is spirit, we're, we're, we're told. And so our identity originates in us. God breathed something into us unlike any part of creation. Perhaps this is why God places more emphasis on what's taking place on the inside of us than what's taking place on the outside of us. Old Testament records the prophet Samuel looking for the next king of Israel, and he goes to Jesse's home, and he asks Uncle Jesse to, uh, Dukes of Hazards, uh, Uncle Jesse to bring uh, his seven sons out, and Samuel would look at them, and as each son came out, they were big, strong, uh, young men, and they were manly men, and as each one came by, Samuel thought, surely this would need to be the one, and God whispered to the prophet and said, no, 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 not it. And the next one would come, and he was like, this one, he's like, not it. All seven go through, and he's like, it's none of them. And Samuel's like, look, one of your boys is supposed to be the next king. And, and Jesse's like, well, I got one more. He's out in the field. Uh, I didn't even bother bringing him in because he's small. He's uh, ruddy, uh, uh, but he's good looking. So when you think of David, just think of me, okay? Now, <laughs> totally joking. He says, but that's how the Bible describes him, kind of small, uh, good character, uh, ruddy, good looking. And Samuel says, well, go, go, go get David. Let, let's take a look at him. Here comes little David walking in. And doesn't look anything like his bigger brothers, not as strong, doesn't appear to be king material. And God says, that's the one. You know, where, where, where God unpacks this idea of do not look at his outward appearance, right? The famous passage that we find in, in, in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things as people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's looking at what's taking place on the inside of us. Listen, it's not our outward shell. The outward shell is deteriorating and quicker and quicker. 
Why does God look at the heart? Why does God look at the inside? Because that's where his image is found. That is what he breathed into us. And so our lives are developing the identity and the character that God has placed within us. Maybe this is why Jesus said, look, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. It's, it's, it, it, it's, what's, it's what's stirring around on the inside, and eventually it comes out. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and 16 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of tre- clay. To show that all surpassing power is from God and not for us. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Someone over 40 say amen to that. Outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. My outward shell, something's going down and something's coming up. My outward shell is deteriorating, but my inner being is being regenerated day by day, renewed day after day. Now at this time, this idea of of clay pots, this culture understood clay pots, and there were all forms of clay pots, some big, some small, some ornate, some very plain. But at the end of the day, all of them had one thing in common. They were clay pots used to store something. And so here's this imagery that we're all clay pots, some bigger, some smaller, some squatty, some tall, some ornate, some kind of plain. But the idea is that all of these clay pots contain something, and that something, Scripture says, is a treasure that there's something in me that is a treasure. My outward pot is cracked and deteriorating, but my inward man is being renewed day by day. This is what God says about us. Jars of, tr- jars of clay. And what is that treasure? Going all the way to chapter 1, first book of the Bible, that treasure is the, the, the breath of God, the Spirit of God that he breathed into us. And for Christians, way beyond that, it's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That the focus should be on the inner. I wish it was a mirror that, that, that could show me my inner me. Not, 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 not this side of me, right? Look, right now, this is the be- in front of you, this, was the best, this is the best I will ever look for the rest of my life. I will go downhill from here. That's the reality. I wish there was something that could show the inside of me. So I can compare the inside of me today as the inside of me 20 years ago. Don't, don't, you know, that, that has anything taken place on the inside of you? Is anything being stirred on the inside of you? Listen, if we're going to reclaim our identity, we must stop being mugged by the mirror. We have to understand this truth, that God places the premium on what's taking place inside. Look at that, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly or wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Day. Listen, if you're in your 20s, you don't care about this verse at all because you are invincible. But let me tell you, and this gives me great pleasure, your day is coming. Okay? I remember being your age, and your day's coming. One day you will have hair growing out of certain parts of your body that hair should not grow out of. In your 30s, something's going to happen, about 35. In your 40s, it's going to visit you again. You're going to wake up and you will have injured something in your sleep. Yes, in your sleep, something happened. Anyone ever wake up with a sprained ankle, torn knee, something like that? Yeah, all of us. I don't know what we're doing in our sleep, but it's pretty exciting, right? And then at 50, you're going to realize, my body is broken. I have a good friend of mine who turned 45. good friend of mine turned 45 
And he was going to the doctor constantly. He was like, man, I got this pain. I don't know what it is. I got to go see the doctor. And he'd come back. He's like, I got this injury that's not healing. I went to the doctor. I got this, my, 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 something is swollen on my body. Not sure what it is. Go to the, it's ran all these tests and the doctors keep coming back that we can't find anything. And then he started, literally, I'm telling the truth. He started becoming concerned that maybe there was something more severe wrong with him. And that doctors really, really needed to go deep and run some deep tests. And I said, listen, I said, let me tell you what's wrong with you. You're old. You're 45 now. Welcome to middle aged, right? You will, something on your body will hurt from now until the day you die. That's just the way it is. Some, some of you is like, I don't have much to look forward to. Well, you, you really don't. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> My outwardly, I am wasting away, but inwardly, I am being renewed day by day. God says, you have something on the inside of you. There is something that I breathed into you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you and wants to renew you daily. Listen, this is coveted among all of creation. We are the only ones who received this gift of God. There is something quite unique and special about us. You have been given an identity from God himself and all of creation, all of, uh, or all of culture is trying to rob that from you. Now, listen, listen. If the mirror didn't hit you today, well, next week we're going to talk about something that did hit you. I know some of the guys were like, I don't care what I look. I like this big old belly. All right, so maybe, maybe you've never been mugged by the mirror. Maybe you can't find a mirror to fit in your whole body. I don't know what that looks like for you. But we will unpack, we will unpack other ways that we have been mugged by culture and we are in fact losing our identity. Scripture says, in your jar of clay you contain a treasure, the treasure that God has placed in you. Robert McGee in his book, Search for Significance, he gives this affirmation. I want you to stand with me as we close. I want you to say this, say this with me. We'll say it a couple times. Are you ready? Go to that... Uh, Go to that affirmation. Is that in there? All right, ready? Say this with me. I am deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted, and complete in Christ. Say it again like you mean it. I am deeply loved. I am completely forgiven. I am fully pleasing, totally accepted, and complete in Christ. Something has been placed in you. And God is more concerned about your inward character than your outward shell. Listen, listen, I'm not saying, not saying that you should neglect the outward shell, right? Scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and therefore we need to honor God by honoring our bodies. That means, hey, may, may, maybe, maybe turn into McDonald's less, turn into the gym a little more, right? Right, put, put down the cream puffs and pick up a vitamin. Maybe throw down the cigarettes and pick up a weight. And someone says, well, can I go to heaven if I smoke? Absolutely, you'll probably even get there faster. That's okay. <laughs> All right? So, listen, I'll leave you with this. Who's in you has more authority to define you than what's been placed on you? Who's in you has more authority to define you than what has been placed on you? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we start a journey today to reclaim our identity and who you created us to be and what you're creating in us and continue to, to work in us. And so we're, we're needing grace to kind of block out all of the things that culture screams at us. 
all of the things that we've placed upon ourselves and that has been placed upon us. And so today, we want to begin to come back to center. We want to begin to marvel at the treasure that you've placed within us. We want to marvel that the Spirit of God was breathed into us, the breath of God, the life of God breathed into us. And now, as followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit is, is alive and working in us. And so, and so we, we want to begin, we don't want to ignore the outward body. We want to be healthy, but, but, but we, we want to flourish on the inner man, on the inner woman, to become all that you've created us to be to become all that you have spoken us to be. And so as we start off on this journey, remind us, anytime there is a thought, an image, or something that we speak over ourselves, someone else speaks over us, let us reject those things that are not of you. Even as we just studied, let us take every thought captive and make it obedient to the teachings, the life of Jesus Christ, that we may move on to reclaim the identity that you have given to each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do not tell me about the soccer game. God bless you. We'll continue this series next week. Uh, If you need prayer, we'll have some people who'd love to pray for you. If you're a guest and I never met you, I'd love to meet you. See you next week. God bless.